Hello, everybody. I'm Sean Reynolds from Sportsnet, about to be joined by Ken Weeb from Sportsnet. Together, we are Kenny and Rennie, and this is the Kenny and Rennie post-game show following, I don't know, what would you call it, a surprising loss to the Chicago Blackhawks? I was surprised. I mean, 3-1, you know, it's basically a one-goal game. Uh, but I was surprised after the way that we'd seen the Winnipeg Jets play up to the potential of teams like St. Louis Blues, Dallas Stars they take to overtime, uh, Nashville Predators, Minnesota Wild was the most impressive of all those games to me. Uh, a little bit surprising to see them fall to the Chicago Blackhawks. Now, maybe the surprise for me, though, has a little bit to do with the Chicago Blackhawks themselves because they'd come off you know, a no-show effort. I think it was a 5-1 loss to the St. Louis Blues that they talked openly about before the game. Their head coach called it a stinker. It was a bad, bad game where they just did not show up. Um, I thought they showed up tonight. I'm going to be completely honest. I don't really think the Jets had that bad of a game. Uh, and we'll get into that. We'll dig a little deeper into that as we get going here. But clearly, there is a lot of angst in the Jets populace here. Terry M says the Jets are done. Let's start making trade for next season. Enor Trap or Enor Tap said, well, that just happened. Uh, Savage 9100, curse of the Jets. We can beat the good teams, but not the bad ones. Uh, that seems to be a common theme this season. I'll agree with that. Jets Dubois saying, if anyone thinks the Jets are making the playoffs, you're holding on to false hope. This team is not good and is so inconsistent. I honestly don't know what to change other than we just need new players. Uh, I think there is definitely a feeling with a lot of people, you know, and I would say there would be people in this organization that would think they don't know what the answer is switching out players because I think people feel like the answer lies in the team that is here right now. But boy, oh boy, after a loss like that tonight, you see the Edmonton Oilers are up. If they end up pulling a couple extra points, these are the kind of games that really down the stretch, you think the Jets have to find a way to win if they're going to make the playoffs. Uh, you know, let's get down into it. Let's talk about it uh, with our main man, Kenny Wabe, who, by the way, made his national television broadcast in-game broadcast debut if you check it out there was a national version of the Kenny and Rennie show during the second intermission he absolutely rocked it as he always does so since he always rocks it and always brings it what am I waiting for time for Kenny to bring it here he comes Kenny, I half thought that you were going to blow me and the local podcast oh. off after you went national earlier on today. Oh, yeah. Absolutely rocked it. Phenomenal job. It was, boy, oh, boy, I sure hope they let us do that again because that was a ton of fun. Love doing it. I think we do a great job of bringing, you know, the issues that really uh, are most important to the Winnipeg Jets to the forefront. Uh, one of the big issues going forward, I guess, is going to be, you know, and it's going to continue to be for a long time, the Jets and this push for the playoffs. Uh, give me an idea of what you thought happened in this game. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, it's so funny. Funny maybe isn't the right word, Sean, but you can always tell 
when a coach is a little bit mildly annoyed with the line. Like you often hear it when you see after an emotional game, there's always that natural wondering if there's going to be a letdown. You know, all the talk this morning was about emotion, emotion. Or is your team going to have to manufacture emotion against a team that is chasing you rather than a team that you are chasing? Um, And to me, I, I said this to Tim Campbell upstairs, to me, when a coach gets annoyed by that line of questioning, it's because he's wondering the exact same thing. He's hoping it doesn't happen. But there's always that concern. I, I often thought that with Paul Maurice as well. Um, and I also I, I kind of saw it a little bit this morning with, with Dave Lowry. Uh, but what he said was accurate. If you have to manufacture it, find a way to get it done. Uh, the Jets, I, I think they played you know, steady in a lot of areas, but I didn't find their emotion level to be ratcheted up at the level we've been used to seeing. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, how much fun is Marc-Andre Fleury? I mean, people might not like it because they've seen it against the Jets before, but he's all over the crease. He's, you know, kind of, he's not one of those technical goalies. He's battling his behind off to make saves. He touches the puck a lot. He even tried for the Mikhail Burden. He tried for the empty net goal uh, and then flubs it, but it goes right on the stick of Patrick Kane for the empty netter. Uh, in terms of the Jets play, Sean, there were stretches, but what I did not like was their puck management. Uh, it's something that they've done so well coming out of the break. But in this game, on the especially the two goals with the goaltender in the net, uh, I thought that, you know, again, uh, people think that I'm always criticizing. This is not a criticism, but I thought that on the first goal, I thought that Cole Perfetti was tired at the end of a shift. He had kind of a high flip. It yeah. did stay in the neutral zone, but the tur- like it fed right into the Blackhawks' transition game. They come back down and score. Now, again, I know that I know folks online are up in arms about Andrew Kopp. Andrew Kopp is one of the most conscientious players on the Winnipeg Jets hockey team. Of course he wanted to get the puck deep on that play. Nobody tries to turn it over in the neutral zone. And also nobody more disappointed than Kopp that he didn't get the puck deep. But the facts are that puck needs to get deep. It doesn't. Instead, the Jets, right after scoring to get things tied up, they give up a long shot goal from Alex Dabrinkit. I mean, Alex Dabrinkit has, tw- what, 27 now? 28 goals. He has 25% of the goals the Hawks have scored this year, or right around that number. That's very close to what Kyle Connor's done for the Jets. Mm-hmm. You it's cannot. Ahead of what he's done for the Jets. Right. So I know in terms of percentage, like it's, just, it's right neck and neck, I guess. Percentage I mean, of they're just, goals? Yeah, he's just ahead, under, right? Just of, under. No, he's ahead of Kyle Connor. No, no, I know. Yes, that's what I'm saying. He's yeah. just ahead of him. One is like 24 and change, and the other is 20.8 yeah. or something. But yeah. I mean, yeah. between between a quarter and 20%, I mean, that, that's an enormous number. Uh, and the Jets, especially with those guys on, on the ice, they have to do a better job. And I thought that Nate Schmidt nailed it right on the head. The Jets, you know, Fleury full marks. But the Jets didn't make it hard enough for Marc-Andre Fleury around his net. And I have to tell you, I mean, that's about as disgruntled as we've seen Nate Schmidt when I asked him about Marc-Andre Fleury. And I loved it. I love that he shows the motion. I mean, nobody knows more than Nate Schmidt. Nate Schmidt's played on really good teams, right? He's played on a team that went to the Stanley Cup final. And what happened to that team? I mean, he knows that that was a big, big opportunity lost for the Jets. Again, we know that Chicago's played better under Derek King, but this is going to go up there, Sean, to me, with those losses to the Arizona Coyotes and Buffalo Sabres. Games that the Jets absolutely had to have on home ice 
to maybe try to get on a roll and they didn't have it. And now, how do you respond? Because we know the Minnesota Wilds certainly don't like what happened in this arena last Tuesday, and they're going to be coming for the Winnipeg Jets on Wednesday. The Jets can't be sulking about what happened tonight in a lost opportunity. They better be ready on Wednesday night, or there's going to be a big problem here. Well, maybe that's exactly what they need, though, Ken, because if you think about the comments that they were they were making, you know, they couldn't generate that emotion tonight because it was a bit of a no-hit game, right? And, and it's almost like, uh, you know, those games that we saw against uh, against the Minnesota Wild, it was the same thing against the Dallas Stars, same thing against the Nashville Predators. I, I, my buddy Dwight, who is the yeah. head coach yeah, yeah. of the of the Eastman Selects, phenomenal hockey player, uh, was one of the first uh, or was in the inaugural year of the University of Mankato, which is now uh, University of Minnesota State, where uh, Nathan Smith plays. Correct? Yes, indeed. Yes, um, yes, sir. Dwight, Dwight was an original member of that team. Um, Dwight was this funny hockey player that sometimes he could go to sleep and then when he was asleep, you know, back in those days when there was a lot more hitting in the game, he could just get creamed every once in a while. And what always happened with him is he'd get creamed, he'd get up and then just be phenomenal all over the place. And he used to say it. He used to like getting hit really hard and that would get him into the game. Well, it kind of seems like the Jets have a little bit of that mentality to them that they need to get punched in the mouth to get going here. And it is interesting because that first period, it was a bit of a sleeper by the Chicago Blackhawks. It looked like the Jets were well on their way to dominating this entire game. And then all of a sudden, it's like they lured the Jets to sleep along with them. They didn't get that punch in the mouth. No one was, you know, chucking knuckles. No one was, you know, going into the corner. Pierre-Luc Dubois was trying to get things going and you could just see that there was kind of no response. The, the, the Blackhawks didn't want to play that way and it's almost like they lured the Jets into saying, okay, well then let's play without emotion and save a little bit of it here tonight. I, I know what you're saying. I still look at that game and I don't think that the Jets played that bad but you did make some really good points. The Cole Perfetti play, it's a little bit lazy, the flip in the air, but the egregious problem there is he follows the puck and ends up in no man's land as the puck is turned over gets beat back the other way and it's his man in the end that ends up he's supposed to be on Patrick Kane as that puck goes in the net there uh, and then yeah I know everybody's ripping on Andrew Kopp you know he did throw a little bit of a grenade into uh, into the feet of, of uh, Josh Morrissey there. The, the interesting part about it is, you know, their mistakes cost them tonight. I, I actually do think that the Chicago Blackhawks, all things even, generated the better chances on this night. You take a look at Patrick Kane also hit the crossbar, and then he was very, very close to putting it into that not wide open net, the low angle wide open net. Yeah. But it, it's, it's like Chicago didn't score on the chances that they earned for themselves tonight but then ended up getting, you know, scoring on the chances where the Jets turned the puck over and made their mistakes. So the mistakes clearly cost the Jets here tonight. Uh, maybe Fleury erased some of the mistakes going the other way. But you, I mean, this is the tricky part about this whole thing, Ken, is I look at this game tonight, I, I still think the Jets, for the most part, the way the game was played, the way defense was played, the way they generated, I thought the Jets were the better of the two teams on this night. But this is the problem with the Jets being in the hole that they've dug for themselves. Is there's going to be some nights in the NHL that you lose games that you probably should have won. It's just going to happen. Yep. And the Winnipeg Jets are now in this situation where those games could be the difference between making the playoffs 
and not make the playoffs. Whereas if you are, you know, if you've given yourself a comfy lead, you lose a couple of those games here and there, it's kind of meaningless, right? So, uh, tough one here tonight. I, I guess, do you see it? Did you see this as a as a bit of a goaltending duel? At times, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying out here that the Jets were horrendous. Not at all. I mean, the Jets' first period was fantastic. And their second period, they kind of got a little bit of lulling to sleep, I would say. Uh, there were times where they didn't push the pace the same way that we're used to seeing. Uh, and I thought, we've seen this before. And, I mean, Dave Lowry talked about it in the postgame, Sean. What we saw in those other games in Dallas and Nashville, the Jets got their forecheck going. And today, because Mark andre Fleury is so active yeah. in the net, they just didn't get that hit and seal and get the cycle game going. Their low to high wasn't there quite as frequently as what we're used to seeing. And then in, in a lot of ways, they just didn't get to the hard areas. They had tons of, you know, there's enough go, there's enough scoring chances to win that hockey game. And I don't think the Jets were out here playing terrible defensive structure. Their structure was really good, except really when they good. fed right into the transition game itself. So that's why I say, I mean, but this is vintage Jets and you, you just nailed it. I mean, because of the limited margin for error, you just, if you're the Jets, you cannot afford to lose to Philadelphia or to Chicago. I get it. In an 82-game season, it doesn't matter if you're the Colorado Avalanche or the Winnipeg Jets. You're going to lose games to teams that are below you in the standings. That's just the way life is. I mean, the, I think the, the the Blackhawks had lost, I think, 11 in a row in the Central Division, right? So that means they're, they're bound to get one at some point, but that's not an excuse the Jets can't afford to let that happen to them because they didn't take advantage in some other games earlier on and again they're, they're you know the, just that letdown right after scoring I mean that was such a deflator for the Jets because you know they get a bounce Schmidt takes the shot it hits Connor Murphy goes up in the air Flurry can't find it Shifley does scores in his fourth consecutive game but they give it back the other way and then they can't really find I mean yes they had a push but they just weren't able to get it over the top. And that's the thing. If the Jets want to get into the playoffs, they just can't afford many of these stumbles. So we talked about going needing at least three out of every five. And right. then you gotta you gotta toss in an overtime point once an in a while. Point. Exactly. So now they're two one and one in this stretch. So now you have to have that game on Wednesday. Exactly. Right? Or else the next time you need to go four and one. And that's yeah. even tougher. So Exactly. Right, I mean yeah. that, that that's just the this is the mountain that I mean Blake Wheeler talked about climbing the mountain slowly but surely, but when you're climbing it, you can't afford any stumbles because when you stumble, you're basically almost you almost go like back to the start of the equation. Uh, so that's the biggest issue for the Jets. So I'm not here to say, yeah, a terrible effort. Well, no, it wasn't a terrible effort, but it wasn't crisp enough, and when it's not crisp enough and you lose that game, now the next night you better be even sharper or else it gets even tougher. And no, you're uh, Infinity Comet. No, I, three out of five doesn't guarantee you, which is why I said you need the odd overtime point tossed into that. I, I mean, the Jets I, haven't I, won back, sorry, they haven't won back-to-back -back games since January. That's yeah. not good enough. I, I took a look at, at, at where they're at in the standings. I figure it, it, it'll take six, they need a 65% winning percentage. Right, they got to win 65 percent of the Roughly, game. Roughly, yeah. A high bar. I said this. There's only two teams in the Western Conference that have a higher win winning percentage or point percentage than what the Jets need yeah. right now. So you're basically they need to 
not just, you know, win some games. They need to be one of the very, or be along lines, the lines of the very best teams in the West to get there. And you made that point uh, uh, perfectly. Like, it's now, so if we're going to do this in little five-game breaks, right, because they came out of this, there's 40 games, right? So you've got eight five-game breaks. And to your point, they need to take this next game against against uh, 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 Minnesota because if they don't, now they need to take one extra game and take like nine out of ten points yeah. in the next five, right? And then if they fall below that, then it's just it gets stacked up further and further and further down the line. And you can see on a night like tonight, you know, the Edmonton Oilers were up 2 nothing last I saw. I don't know where they are. Still 2 nothing, I think. It, it's, we're just, again, we're in this situation. The reason why this is so tough, the reason why it is such a tall order to get back in here is one, you have to play at that level, but two, you need other people to kind of fall apart around you. I don't know how many people saw it in the show, but we did. You know, Greg Millen is still a believer in this team. He did the game here tonight. He thinks that they're coming around. He thinks, like, his comment to me earlier on was the Jets should have been able to sleepwalk and make the playoffs this year with the team that they have. And I think a lot of people feel that way. I think a lot of people are going to agree with that. Um, and he said in the broadcast, he thinks that this team's turning things around and that, and that their season isn't over. Don't count them out just yet. I don't know if you saw, Ken, but we did the, the, the playoff, like the chances of them making playoffs as percentages. They were really kind of on the rise. They were at about 9% right at the end of January, according to Money Puck. And then it jumped up to about, what was it, 19% or something like that about two weeks ago. And then after the couple of wins before they happened, uh, this game, they were up to 24%. Now, that's a pretty big jump, going from 9% chance to a 24% chance, a 1 in 10 chance to a 1 in 4 chance. Their odds went up in a really, really short amount of time. But you can just see losses like this take, kind of take the wind out of the sails. Uh, it's a tough one. They're in a really, really tough spot, and they're going to have to work here. Uh, thank you for that, Mac. I appreciate that. Hey, I just wanted to say thank you to uh, to both uh, Hammy and Scott Billick for stepping in for me. Um, I went up to, to Roblin, where my mom's family is from, to be with some of my family members who had a devastating loss. Um, and so I appreciate you, Ken, uh, carrying things and carrying those two bums, Hammy, and Scott Billick through the show without me there because, yeah, I know, I know that's a tough one. Here, I just wanted to bring this up quickly. Robert Sutton said the cat has two more goals in KFC. We never got to do this story because we kind of almost needed both of them to do something on this night. Yeah. But I think before this game, Ken, uh, and it made me think about that big kind of argument, not argument, that debate yeah, yeah. that we had about Kyle Connor being this under, you know, this uh, underappreciated player in the league. And one of the things that I've always wanted to say with that is like, look, if Kyle Connor is underrated, then so is a guy like Alex DeBrickett. Like, if you're saying that we should be putting Kyle Connor's name alongside the likes of those players, then you should, with DeBrickett as well, those two players score uh, their, their goal percentage, the amount of times they score uh, per game, was 44% for, for um, Kyle Connor and 43% for Alex Dabrinkit before this game. So that number may have actually closed, but since those two players got in the league, they score at almost the exact same pace. Interesting thing about them, they grew up 40 minutes from each other just a year apart. Never stumbled across each other when they were younger playing. 
but boy, oh boy, since they come into the league and they don't exactly play the same game either, um, but the, the way that they generate points is almost exactly the same. Those two may be the two, like if you take comparables from across the league, those are two of the best comparables uh, that I've seen line up. It's really, really interesting stuff. But like we talked about in the intermission, maybe the, the difference right now, Kyle Connor's impact on the penalty kill. Like I don't think that Dabrinkit okay. is quite having that right now. Oh, but oh, I mean, sure. since since 2020-21 season, Dabrinkit's third in the NHL in goals, right? I mean, yeah. that was one of the stats that was shown in our stat pack here. He's in some pretty lofty company. So, Ken, let's, let's get into I talked a little bit about the stats. At this stage, what, what do you think the chances are of the Jets making the playoffs? Yeah, I mean it's got to be like 20% or lower. I mean, unless <laughs> unless they rattle off like so this is very simple, Sean. And it's not simple, but it's simple to decipher. The Vancouver Canucks got back into it by going 9-0-1 essentially. So, if the Jets want to go on a hot streak, they're going to basically have to win 8 in a row or or something along those lines. Yeah, they're going to right? have to put up like an 5 in a row minimum. 5 in a row minimum. They haven't won consecutive games since winning the last game of December and the first two games of January against Vegas and Arizona. So uh, that's the only way it, you know, here's another great example. Tonight is one of those days where they got one of the games back on the Anaheim Ducks, but they didn't win it. So yeah, they're still only 7 back. But now, points percentage-wise, they dropped a bunch of You know, it's just a tough situation for them. You have to be almost perfect. And, and the Jets haven't shown that they've been able to go on a long run this year. So, I mean, until they do it, it's it's okay to be skeptical, right? I mean, that's those are the facts. It's not to say uh, they can't do it, but so far they haven't done it. And as Brennan, Brennan Dillon, I loved what he said about the urgency right at game 20 you can say you got a long runway at game 30 you can say ah oh, well there's still time well you get to the midway point and now you're like holy smokes time to dig in your heels or else it gets awfully difficult right so that's those are the facts for the jets they're going to have to go in a serious heater in order to put some pressure on some of these teams those are the facts <laughs> um Here's one thing that I think was an interesting comment. Yeah, you were really leading uh, the charge on this uh, this line of questioning, um, and talked about it with Nate Schmidt. And Nate Schmidt is a, a player who didn't feel that the Jets had enough emotion in tonight's game. The one thing that that got me thinking about is, I mean, I, I'm not surprised at all that after what they did, you know, in in Dallas, you know, the roller coaster that that game was, the emotion that they needed to generate for that Minnesota Wild game. Uh, and, you know, as heated and as, you know, interesting a comeback as that was in Nashville. You know, I, I, I'm a big believer you cannot sustain that level of emotion for that long. Like, you're bound to have not a letdown. And it's funny, I, that's, that's where I disagreed with Nate Schmidt here. I didn't think the Jets had an emotional letdown on this evening. I just think that you cannot keep yourself at game seven every single game for an entire season or for a half a season. You're going to have those games where you just quite don't quite have it as much. And this is the interesting part that I find is 
I'm, I'm saying it right now. The Jets cannot expect to manufacture emotion or come to the to the rink with emotion for every single game to the rest of the season. They're going to need to find a way to win games where they don't have the emotion. And I just wonder this year, Ken, I was thinking about it. It seems like they're in every single game that they're in, whether it's a very good team or a very bad team. And I don't want to call Chicago a very bad team. They've been better since Derek King took over. But I, I just wonder what it is about this team that they can't seem to get that separation very often. Even that 5-2 win that they had over the Nashville Predators was a 2-2 game until you right. know less than 10, 10 minutes left in the third period. It was a grinded-out game, and I'm just wondering what it is about this team that in years past they were always able to kind of put distance between themselves and their opponent in game, and they just cannot seem to do that this season. Yeah, for me that's very simple, Sean. The Jets don't score enough at even strength, right? They have not had. We right. talked about the secondary scoring all year long, but they just their shooting percentage is low. They don't do a good good enough job of creating and generate. I mean, they generate the offense. Their finish just simply isn't at that level. Previously, the Jets were this opportunistic team. You know, they didn't need four or five grade A's. You get a grade A and they score on it. That hasn't happened this year. The Jets miss Nikolai Ehlers. There's no doubt about that. I mean, we talked about Cole Perfetti. He's doing an, you know, an admirable job for a 20-year-old rookie. But the fact of the matter is the Jets are missing one of the most prolific players on their team right now. I mean, it's hard to replace those guys. And it, it, the absence is real. I mean, it's a real thing. Uh, but they just have not had enough offensive punch, Sean. This team, we're used to seeing them as a top 10 offensive team. Even in the years where they struggled defensively, they were still a top 10 team in terms of offense. Now they're a bottom third team, and they can't really seem to find their way. Their, you know, their fourth line was limited in ice time again today. Harkins, 628. Svechnikov, 333. Toninato, 401. So, I mean, they just need to do a better job. They need to find some offense, but they can't cheat for offense. So that's the Jets' bigger problem. Not that they can't score at the same rate, but that they can't cheat defensively in order to score, or else you're just giving back more than you're getting, right? So uh, that that's a big problem for the Jets this year. And, you know, they're going to have to try to find a way to turning around because it's not going to come from winning 5-2. I mean, this team needs to win a bunch of 3-2 games or 2-1 games. They're not going to be blowing the doors off people, as Blake Wheeler likes to say. Uh, they're going to have to win tight checking games. They're going to have to have emotional wins. They're going to have to rally at times. I mean, we talked about it. Their special teams are vastly improved. But it hasn't translated into great success. I mean, it's wild. I mean, it, it, I think I was, I was on with Kelly Moore on the pregame show. Their power play and penalty kill basically adds up to 110%, which as a coach, anyone would tell you that's a great number, but it's not translating into res results. Um, now let's get into the defense a little okay, bit. Okay, sure. Start, start it off. I'd like you to start it off. I mean, so Logan Stanley comes in because Neil Pionk is uh, is stuck, uh, you know, 10 days. He can't get across the border because of his COVID test. Uh, unfortunate timing, but those are the facts. Uh, I know there's a lot of, you know, we basically we see this every game. Uh, there's one, pe one, one side of the equation. There you go. Exactly. That's a massive issue. Wow. So one side of the equation is up in arms about Vili Hainala, either, you know, 
should be banished to the American League or is playing unbelievable. I, I mean, I think I, I liked what I saw from Billy Hanelet tonight. I, I liked his puck handling. I liked his zone exits. I thought defensively he wasn't tentative. Um, I liked a lot of what I saw from him. I, I liked the pairing uh, with, oh. with Nate. Hand, sorry, handle this. No, uh, no, no. The second, the second goal was one on two. Fourteen didn't step up and hit the shooter. Really, the issue there is the player ahead of uh, Patrick Kane uh, r- runs a pick play. It's yeah. a great pick play. Billy Hanela tries to step up to address yeah. the player there. Again, that player is Cole Perfetti's player. Uh, so it's not necessarily Billy Hanela's job to do that, but he tries to. And if you go back and watch it, uh, the Chicago player builds a fence uh, that Billy Hanela can't get around. He tries to step into that area and steps right inside an opposing player. Really, really good good play by the Chicago Blackhawks to open him up there. Uh, I just wanted to touch on that. Yep. Continue on. So. And, and I think that uh, Gordy Tumbleson sent me a tweet, uh, goaltend, former goalie. Uh, he thought that both Hanela and the Hawks player almost created like a double screen I mean, both of us in real time thought that Hellbuck, I mean, it's through the wicket, so you thought Hellbuck should have probably had it, but there was probably a little bit of a screen caused by that play. I don't think that Vili Hanel played that poorly at all, to be honest. Uh, I thought I liked, I liked how he jumped up in the rush a few times. I like what he shows on the on the power play. Uh, now it's a big decision. I mean, it's a, you know, I thought that Logan Stanley came in and had some nice moments, uh, moved the puck a little bit more efficiently. I thought he played a little bit more of an assertive game. Then the last couple where I thought he got a little bit tentative, Sean, uh, I thought he tried to get engaged physically, got a couple shots through. Again, I didn't mind his game, but uh, I think that right now, I mean, we know we talk about this all the time, you know, uh, at times the Jets would like the size of Vili Hanela, but I think that the zone exits from Vili Hanela have been fantastic. And because of that, I would like to see more of them. So I'm very curious if, if Dave Lowry, in a game that we expect to be incredibly heavy, on Wednesday against the Wild, is he going to keep Vili Hanela in the lineup or will he be tempted to keep Logan Stanley in the lineup? Um, you know, I, I think that Hanela has learned a longer look. Uh, I mean, I understand uh, why the Jets might consider Logan Stanley. And I, again, I'm not, people want it to be like incredibly one sided or the other side. There's middle ground for all of these players. Um, it doesn't mean they're banished forever. I think right now, Vili Hanela deserves to stay in a little bit longer. There's four games and six nights this week. Both those guys can get into games, but I'd be tempted to keep Hanela in because I think that because of the way the Minnesota Wild forecheck, I think having Hanela in for those clean zone zone exits uh, would be important. Yeah, you know what? I, I, I'm i with you. Hanela, I think, should stay in. I think he's kind of earned it. I think if Dave Lowry is going to kind of go the way that we thought or that he said he was going to take this team uh, where players are getting ice time that they earn, uh, I think he's earned a longer look. I, I mean, I could see Logan's family coming out. Uh, I'm not so sure it'll happen, though, Ken. Like, I, I am thinking to myself that uh, th- this is a bit of a litmus test here because – uh, we do know that uh, they're they like him. They like Big Stan in the lineup. They like a lot of the stuff that he brings. I think that there's been an appreciation for the grittier side of the game that a lot of the players like Adam Lowry uh, and Brendan Dillon have been playing, uh, and Logan Stanley just adds to that. I do think that the Jets think, you know, based on what we heard from Dave Lowry tonight, and and, and the feeling of how the Jets played tonight, that that 
he would like games to look a lot more like what those other games looked like than what this looked like. And if, if you're trying to get games that look like that, Logan Stanley is very, very useful in a game like that. Um, but you know what? Hey, I wanted to just uh, – do you have anything you want to say on, D, on the D before we move on? Well, here's the other thing. What we know are also the facts are Adam Lowry has fought three times in four games and Brendan Dillon's fought two times in four games. So if you're expecting there to be some fights on Wednesday, maybe they might want a little bit of help for those two guys, and that's where you would consider Logan Stanley uh, in that kind of a scenario as well. But I don't know. It'll be very interesting. I, I think the temp to me, the Jets played an excellent game on Saturday night when their defense pairings were Pionk with Hanela, uh, Brennan Dillon and Nate Schmidt as of that shutdown pairing. And then you had Morrissey and DeMello. So to me, that would be my temptation. Yes, I understand there could be a physical game. But the game against Nashville was a physical game. So physical, in fact, that the undisciplined nature of the of the Nashville Predators ultimately cost them the hockey game. So what did the Jets do against a ferocious forecheck? They had Pionk and Hanelin together. And their zone exits were excellent. And they were able to generate offense through the neutral zone. So... I mean, I get it. Inexperience is one thing, but I mean, it's not like Logan Stanley's a 10-year veteran. I mean, he still hasn't played 60 NHL games. So um, I don't think there's a ton of inexperience difference in that situation. So uh, I don't. they won't be in, in the lineup at the same time on Wednesday. At least we don't expect there to be unless there were some injuries we're unfamiliar with. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm curious. I'm definitely curious to see how it goes there, Sean. And you're right. I mean, Dave Lowry's been saying, guys, you earned it, stay in. And like I said, I'd be I'd be thinking that Hanela has earned another look. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to make this point. I think this is interesting. We keep talking about Dave Lowry loves to talk about, and you can hear his players saying it too, so you know that it's a message that's resonating within the dressing room, that they've dug this hole for themselves, and it's their job to get them out of it. And we've talked a little bit about, you know, how, like, on a night like tonight, this is, this is why it's so tough, because, you know, games like this, you know, you can't let them slip away. But I love this point by Chris Overton, who says, coming into this game, he's worried about to bring it, and Kane and Marc-Andre Fleury. Really, in the end, that's the difference in this game. And so what, one of the things that we had talked about in the broadcast that Dave Lowry had talked about is he needs the Jets' stars to be their stars, and they have been as of late, right? This yeah. stretch of hockey where the Jets have looked really good, one of the reasons they've looked really good is because the Jets' stars have been their stars. But I wonder on a night like tonight, did we see enough pushback from the Jets' best players on a night where the best play, the best player on the opposing team uh, Patrick Kane goes out and scores a goal. The best goal scorer on the other team goes out and scores a, scores a goal. And their foundational goaltender goes out and has an absolute night. Like, if you're looking at Connor Hellebuck and Mark Shifley and either Blake Wheeler or and listen, I, I'm not sure I want to bring Kyle Connor into this because, I mean, this is the, what the first night that Kyle Connor hasn't put, put up a point in how long. Like, I, I, I'm not going to yeah, hold five game against, point streak, yeah. I'm not going to hold anything against Kyle Connor who has been contributing at all stages here but should there not have been maybe a look and, and a greater push from the Jets stars in a game like this who sat back and watched the opposition team stars go out and take the game was there enough pushback from those guys well I mean they didn't get as much done as they got 
done against Dallas and Nashville. But let's also not forget they played two games within 22 and a half hours. They had Sunday off and came into tonight. So I get it. People are going to say they're professionals. But, I mean, Blake Wheeler had eight shots on goal and five points in the previous game. Was he as effective today when he had one shot on goal? No. But, I mean, he was also asked to play 40-plus minutes in those games. So um, I, I'm not going to say that the Jets' top line had to be better. I mean, they had an excellent game one night earlier against a better team. So did they have enough in the tank today? Did I think they generated enough zone time or chances? No. I mean, uh, the Jets' top six didn't have a great game today. Those are the facts. I mean, Kyle Connor had four shots on goal, seven attempts. Uh, Mark Shifley, two shots on goal, four, four attempts. But they weren't as dangerous. They didn't spend as much time in the offensive zone. Uh, I mean, we, we talked a lot about the secondary scoring that hasn't been there. I mean, tonight, Adam Lowry had six shots on goal and eight attempts. I mean, he was involved in the game. Shorthanded breakaway, four hits, a takeaway. I mean, Adam Lowry had a great game. I mean, let, and let's transition there too. So let's talk about this. I mean, we talked about it a little bit off camera. Um, it's so interesting. On the breakaway, it was such a weird play because when Lowry went to the backhand, Sean, Mark Marc-Andre Fleury goes yeah. down early, 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 and he's able to get back up, but then he kind of panics. And, you know, he's thinking he wants to go for the poke check, and he's like, holy smokes. And then all of a sudden the stick comes out of his hand. I don't think it was a blatant throw, but I think it was more on the line of the accidentally on purpose than it was an accident. And again, I yes, totally I understand in real time. And I, you know, again, kudos to the way Adam Lowry handled it saying, of course, you'd love to have that call. But he also said, if that goes the other way, he doesn't want it called unless the ref is 100% sure. And the ref couldn't have been 100% sure in real time because of how quickly it happened. And, you know, Dave Lowry answered my question. You know, we both talked about this. He said, I know you, what you want me to say. I, I don't know what you say. What I said is, what did you see in real time before, compared to what you saw in the video? I mean, in real time, to me, initially, I'm like, did he throw it? So I'm wondering if that's what the coach thought. I mean, I understand the coach doesn't want to get fined. And, and you know, good on him for protecting himself. But in, in that situation, I'm, I'm genuinely curious what's going through his mind. I mean, it's a tough play in real time. What did you think in real time, Sean? In real time, I just thought that he made a move and his stick popped out of his hand. But you know who caught you know who caught it in real time? His former Mills? NHL goaltender, Greg yeah. Milling. He saw exactly what was happening there. I I agree with you. That was that. I mean, maybe we got to give credit where it's due. This is a veteran goaltender who did something and got away with it, right? And probably got away with it because he's a vet who knows how to get away with stuff like that. What have we talked about with Pierre-Luc Dubois in the past? He's a guy who goes out, yeah, he takes penalties, he draws a ton of penalties, drew one tonight, but he also gets away with a lot of penalties. And 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 it's something he prides himself on. And as a person who covers this team, it's something that I greatly admire about him. I, I admire someone who's able to keep their game right up to you know that the, the point of crossing the line of breaking the rules and breaking them every once in a while, and that's what uh, that's what uh, um, Mark Andre Fleury did in that moment. I, I was, I, I mean, I thought it was impressive, but at the same time, uh, I know exactly what you're thinking. You know, Dave Lowry. I, I think this is this is how it happens, especially when it comes to refing. You know, what what does the NHL do? Which I think is ridiculous. Like, I, I love the idea of after a game in which refing calls create some kind of outcome they should have to step up to the podium 
They should have to walk up to the podium and answer what they thought was happening in that time and go through their process and explain why they thought it was a penalty, why it wasn't, that if they messed it up and they went and looked at the video, do they still think it's a penalty? Uh, I mean, that would create such good theater. And I think it would be healthy for the game because you get all these frustrated players and coaches all the time. Instead, the way they have it now is if you say anything about the officiating, you get torched, you get fined. And so, I mean, I understand his response to you, uh, but I understand you asking the question. Again, this is one of those things we're coming from different perspectives. Dave Lowry doesn't want to tell you exactly what he thinks because it's probably going to get him fined if he doesn't, right? But, you know, you asking the question, we, we kind of needed to know. And I do think that we got an answer from both Dave oh, yeah. and Adam in that. For and sure. We both thought, like, yeah, it was a penalty. But that sneaky bugger sure did a good job of hiding it. Adam even pointed out the idea that, you know, he's skating down the ice and the ref isn't keeping up with him. And the ref has a view that is, you know, further behind. Oh, look, Loveface is back. (laughs) And Uh, one quick one, uh, one quick one, Sean. Uh, In real time, I actually thought that Adam Lowry might have knocked the stick out of Fleury's hands. Like when he went to the backhand. But really what happened was... Adam Lowry opens up Flurry to the five hole, which is his signature move. Flurry's like, "Holy smokes, my five hole's open! I can't close it. I better get my stick out there." Which, in a lot of ways, is brilliant. Yeah, totally. Um, hey, I wanted to. I just want to stop everything and go back and. I was going to say what. This is one of my – well, what do you want to do? Because otherwise – Well, you talked about Dubois. One quick one. I mean, you talked about the line. Did you see the play with Jake McCabe in front with the net empty? He absolutely yeah. cross-checked him down to the ice, oh, and no. then McCabe gave it back to him and then slashed him on the top of the of the laces. I mean, that was an awesome uh, exchange by two uh, kind of battle-hardened players. I love the battle in front of the net. Yeah, this is there's not enough of it in the NHL anymore. Um, I want to ask this question. I this is the cat in the hat here. This is one of my favorite questions that we've had on this show. I think this is a good way to attack this. Right, they're a cap team who's not earning their contract. Trade them, trade them to Arizona. But it is a good way to look at this, I think. So if you take a look at the Winnipeg Jets right now and where they are, clearly they're not getting their money's worth. Let's let's drill down and take a, take suggestions or give suggestions out here of who we think is not matching the contracts that they've been given. Yeah, so for me, here's the thing. Uh, I mean, Elliot Friedman and our, our friends Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick have been talking about this a lot on 32 Thoughts and on their uh, daily hit during the Jeff Merrick show. Everybody sees Arizona as this easy landing spot. Well, they are already play, paying two players contracts. They can only take one more contract where they're retaining salary or taking on salary so i mean that's a that's something where i'm not really uh, sure about i mean um you know i don't know exactly who's going to be going to arizona i mean some people want to say well blake wheeler's got to go well blake wheeler's a full no move i don't see blake wheeler going anywhere he's certainly not going to be going to arizona to ride into the sunset with his old line mate andrew ladd blake wheeler wants to win and uh, I don't see him waving to go anywhere, and I don't see the Jets asking him to wave. So in terms of other guys, you know, who's who's overperforming their contract, who's underperforming, I mean, it's kind of subjective to me, Sean. I mean, I, I know that, you know, some people want to say whatever, but, I mean, if you're the Jets and you are considering, I mean, I'm not saying that they are, but if you're the Jets and you're thinking about moving Mark Shifley, you think you were going to move Mark Shifley inside the Central Division? I don't think that's happening for one second. So, I mean, 
would the Jets do it for Jacob Chikrin, a first-pairing guy to play with Josh Morrissey, or down the road, Vili Hanla, a guy who has three years on his deal? I mean, if you're looking to change the construction of your roster, perhaps, but I don't think we're that close to Mark Shifley, a Mark Shifley trade being something that is under serious consideration. But, I mean, we'll see... Uh, we'll see if I'm wrong on that matter. But I think if the Jets get to that point, we talked about it earlier. If there are going to be composite construction changes to the roster, to me, I don't think that a move like that happens in season. I think a move like something like Shifley or someone else would happen in the off season when you don't limit the field. Right now, you're limiting half the field because 16 teams are in LTIR. And most of the teams that can afford Mark Shifley don't have the type of players you would like in return. So, I mean, to me, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, I mean, Transco and Pauly, why, why, why does Arizona want a rental player in Andrew Kopp? No. And, unless and, they can sign right him. But, but the Hanela and the first uh, makes a lot of sense. You're right. Kopp doesn't fit in this equation. No. But the other two... The other two are definitely interesting. How's it going, T. Kona Pauly? Yeah, no, no. And, and like I said... And, I mean, uh, if yeah. they could sign him, maybe I mean you could do if you if you allow the team to talk to him before the trade is made about an extension. Well, I mean, even then, I mean that that you're you're also giving up a lot in that than that deal. And to me, yeah, I mean Jacob Chikrin is a really good player and he's going to help somebody, whether that's Florida or somebody else. Um, but I mean, yeah. you've got to give up a lot to get a lot. I get that, but I mean. So I'm going to attack this not from like trading people out. I'm just going to take this question as asked and just put it, you know, kind of go through a little bit of the lineup here when it comes down to who's not earning their contract. Okay. Well, like if we start off the top and this is, uh, I mean, there's no way Blake Wheeler is producing this season at the level of an $8.25 million player. I mean, that one is easy, that one up front. If the, and the, the, here's the thing, Ken. I think we knew, I think most people knew. I remember a lot of people making co- comments about it when it happened. When Blake Wheeler signed that contract, I think everybody knew it was going to be very, very difficult for him to produce at the level that he was getting paid until the end of that contract. He's still got another two years on it, but I mean, look around the league at guys who are making $8.25 million. Blake Wheeler, you know, I know we had five points this last game. He is not producing to that level at the moment. Mark Sure, Shifley, but hang on. He also outperformed his contract for nine years prior agreed. to the last two, right? Uh, so I, I'm just, I no, and, and hey, listen, I, I know for a fact, I mean, Blake Wheeler is getting paid for what he did before. That, sure. A lot of people took exception to that. The other part about that is when Blake Wheeler's contract was coming up, they kind of had to do they, they 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 had to sign him to that because if you would have lost Blake Wheeler, who he was at that time, it would have just created this massive hole and taken a team that thought it was in a contending window and just crashed them out of it right away. Or, or the Jets believe that that would have been the case. So, I mean, it's a situational contract. I I, I said it back in the day. I think the Jets had to sign that contract. I think Wheeler's agent did a phenomenal job leveraging the Jets into getting the contract that they did. But I also thought at the time, and I think at this moment right now, there is no way that Blake Wheeler is earning an $8.25 million contract. No way. Mark Shifley is getting how we've seen him play as of late, including tonight, um, at least in his ability to, to you know put the puck in the net, kind of create some 
uh, some havoc or keep the Jets in the game. I mean, if he, if you're paying that player, and a lot of players, well, we know this, players get paid based on offense. He's been bringing the offense and gave the Jets a chance to take this one to overtime again tonight, timely scoring. Lately, in I'd say in the last eight games or so, he's been earning his contract. But based on his overall year, I don't think he has yet. Nick Ehlers this season, I thought last season, definitely earned his contract uh but this season i don't think at the pace that he was playing and the struggles that he was having had, was not living up to his contract uh kyle connor is most definitely living up to his contract i think pierre luc dubois is giving you everything that you could expect from a player with that kind of contract this one for me is because we talked about this josh morrissey has had a great bounce back year but i do think for the money that he makes we need to see more offensively, and we've talked about this. The Jets' inability to, to produce at five-on-five five is hurting them. And I think one of the reasons that the Jets, the, one of the holes in the Jets' game that leads them not scoring five-on-five five is that I don't think that they get enough offense from the point. Uh, and I know that they're trying to generate, you know, the traffic in front of the net. But one of the things that we really do not see that offensive defensemen from other teams are able to do is they're not only able to shoot from the point and create some chaos, but they jump up into the play a lot more often. I mean, I'm using an extreme example, but like think of how active Kale McCarr is in the offensive zone for, for the Colorado Avalanche. Now, sure. maybe that's not what the Jets coaches want, but I will say this, and I put Nate Schmidt in this category as well. I would think that those players need to be producing more offense based on the contract that they have. You would expect to get more out of them offensively. Uh, Josh Morrissey, I think, is taking care of all of the other aspects of the game. But if we're talking purely on needing your, con you know, what you expect from a contract, uh, that that would be there. And then I guess the other guy is Con Connor Hellebuck at this stage, based on his numbers purely alone. He is not. I mean, I, I took a look at, and I know a lot of these are. It's hard getting goalie stats, right? Because because there's so many goalies that. Uh, you know, Eric Comrie, I think, is top 10 in the league in either save percentage or uh, or goals against. It's one of the two, and clearly he hasn't played enough to kind of be put in that category. But I was taking a look at the stats today, and Connor Hellebuck is in the top 30 in the league in either save percentage uh, or goals against, right? So for a player who's making, what's he at, about 6.8, 6.87 or Not something quite. like that? No, six and change, yeah. Yeah. Um, but he's also 12th or something in goal saved above average. I mean, I get it that sure, that's a, that, yeah. that's – that's more of a deeper dive analytical number. So, I mean, some numbers suggest he is in the top half. But, I mean, I agree with you. His raw numbers have not been good enough. Uh, and and today is another great – this is another great example, Sean. Tonight, Connor Hellebuck was the second best goalie on the ice. There is yep. no debate about that. So, there have been several nights this year where that has been the case. And, and it's hurt the Jets. And that, that's not Connor Hellebuck's fault. I mean, some nights are going to get goalied. But – I mean, the reality is, we've said this for years, the Jets cannot survive on average goaltending. They need above average to elite goaltending. Is that fair to the goaltender? Of course not. But that's the reality for a team like this in order to compete and to be a real contender. Yeah. Um, here, I I just want to say something for this. EKD uh, is asked, even if the Jets somehow manage to squeak into the playoffs, the underlying issues are still there. What do we do with this team moving forward? Um, EKD, I, I think you asked something similar earlier off the top of the show. I don't want to duck this question. I just don't think it's time to answer this question. I, I, I'm not ready to throw in the towel on the Jets making the playoffs. 
I think once we get to that, there will be plenty, plenty of time. If they, if it, listen, if we go to the trade deadline um, and the Jets decide at that point, based on what happens in the next little while, that they're going to be sellers. Um, we we'll definitely dive. We'll dive right into that. Yes, and we'll no have doubt. it over and over again for the last six weeks of the season. We will get into that. What we think we should do. It's just there's too many hypotheticals right now, and it would be a waste of time to get into. We think we should move. They should move this guy. They should move that guy. So on and so forth. And then you get into a situation where they're making a push right down to the last minute. You know, if it comes down to the last game of the season and the Jets miss the playoffs, it's a very different situation than uh, you know if they if they're out of it in the next little while which could happen i mean like you said ken everything that they've done in the last couple games seems to be undone if they lose tomorrow against the the minnesota wild right like they beat them and uh build up all this you know build up some points get five points out of six and then all of a sudden if they you know happen to give up you know get zero points out of these last two games throw that all out the window so uh yeah. Anyways, I just the EKD. I appreciate the question. Yeah, we'll for get sure. to it. Uh, let's just get to it at a, at a more appropriate time and kind of stay in the now uh, from what we're dealing with uh, in this situation. Um, where do you want to go from here? Uh, did you did you think Adam Lowry? I know that there was a point uh, in the game where he threw a big hit. I was it an whistle. I can't remember who it was specifically, but he right in front of the bench put him there, into, yeah. into the Jets bench. Yeah, it was good. Um, Clearly, he was trying to kind of manufacture that emotion. Um, is there more he could have done, or do the Jets just have to realize that there's going to be some games where they can't rely on winning the game like that? I mean, Adam Lowry had four hits in the game, and he, you know, even though he has provided a spark by fighting three times in the last four games, I mean, you can't fight every single game. Like That's just the reality. Uh, and the way that the game was set up, uh, Dave Lowry had that line, Andrew Kopp, Adam Lowry, and Christian Reichel often going up against Patrick Kane or Alex Dabrinkit, depending on where the matchups were. So uh, you can't, I mean, the one game, Lowry had two fights. He was in the box for over 10 minutes so yeah. of, of, of actual game time. So, I mean, it just, to me, it, you need other people doing it. I mean, yeah, Brendan Dillon's done a nice job of that as well. I mean, I've liked his game of late. And I, like I said, I, I think that, um, because I liked how Schmidt and Dylan were playing, I understand why it was done. But when you broke them up, now Brendan Dylan's playing on his offside with Logan Stanley. I think, uh, I mean, it didn't maybe go as smoothly. I, I'm also not saying it went terribly for him either by any stretch. But uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it goes when they have all the bodies back for sure. Um, yeah, overall, I mean, but again, the Jets are not going to be like this. Isn't the 2015 Jets, and we can't expect them to be. Uh, like that team was. I mean, that series with Anaheim, there were more than 100 hits, I think, every game. I mean, that's just not the way these guys are. This is a skilled hockey team that has to play hard. So um, it's interesting, Sean. It's a great question, but no, by no stretch. I mean, Adam Lowry is one of the best players for the Jets today. On a night where their top two lines were not generating a whole lot, Adam Lowry had six shots and four hits. I mean, I don't think you could ask for much more from him. I mean, I get it. I mean, he, he hasn't produced as much offense as we're used to seeing. Adam Lowry has to be a double-digit goal scorer. Um, that's why the Jets went out and signed him. I mean, he has three goals and eight points this year. That's that's not the production that we're used to seeing from him. Uh, I think we've said it a lot. I think that it's been tough for Adam at times because his line hasn't had the same identity or responsibility as in years past. That has changed uh, a lot more during the last stretch, but 
uh, once once they have their team back and Ehlers is back, then I would expect that to continue uh, to improve. But again, Adam's got to be one of the guys that supplies secondary scoring. I mean, he's done it in the past, and yeah. he's going to have to do it again uh, for this team to to make a little bit of a run here. Here's the deal, Ken. I think uh, that talking about not manufacturing emotion um, is is may, maybe a code word. Uh, and I maybe I don't even think the Jets are even saying it, but to me, I hear that. And the code word for that is that they didn't generate the other team taking enough penalties. And the, what I take out of that is if the Jets can only win games, and I don't think they can only, but we saw it tonight, they felt that they didn't win the game because there wasn't enough emotion generated. If they can't win games where they don't win, uh, don't generate enough emotion, to me what I'm hearing is we can't score five on five. Because if you take a look at what they did against Nashville and what they did in all these other games, is they, I mean, even against the, the Minnesota Wild, they, they shut them out. Uh, and the one goal in that game, it's it's a power play goal. So the Jets, the one thing that we have to kind of take into account here is the little successful streak that they went on here has a lot to do with the fact that they were, you know, forcing other teams to take penalties. And maybe I don't want to say forcing, but in a game like the Minnesota Wild, I think they did to the Wild what they did to the Toronto Maple Leafs, where they just took them, drove them a little bit crazy, wound them up, let them go, and they started taking penalties. I think they did the exact same thing against Nashville. They got careless, and the Jets made them pay, right? But if you can't make them pay at five on five to me not being able to generate emotion is a code word for me that suggests that the jets need power play scoring in order to beat other teams because they aren't getting it done on five on five as you talked before kenny i wanted to to, to get into this uh before we shut the show down here because i'm proud of some of the, we've got like journalists in training here tissue we talked about this before <laughs> Said so short-term fix to save the season based on the fact that we don't want to go down the road of making all these big decisions. Short-term fix to save the season. I'm a ticket holder. I want to know. I love this question. This is you why bet. I love this go. question is because I've said in the past that if the Jets flake out and don't make the playoffs here, that there is no one to blame that on, nobody to blame it on, not the players, not the coach other than Kevin Sheveldayoff, because this is the team he assembled. It's the team he believed in when his head coach stepped aside. He's the guy who puts Dave Lowry in charge. His thumbprints are on every single level of this team. So, Tishu's question is, if something needs to be done, and, and uh, uh, Kevin Sheveldayoff is a believer in this team, which he says it is, is there something that you could see or you think should be done before the trade deadline to make this push that the Jets are trying to make? Well, if it were easy, we would all be able to do it. But what I would say is right now the Jets have a couple things. They have two pending UFA forwards that are going to generate interest. We've talked about this before. For me, I mean, hey, Tyler Toffoli's deal today is nothing to do with Andrew Kopp, folks. Let me tell you right now, Tyler Toffoli has two more seasons on his contract. So you're getting three playoff runs for Tyler Toffoli. So will there be some impact? Sure. That doesn't mean Andrew Kopp is getting you or the Winnipeg Jets a first-round pick, a prospect, a roster player, and a later on, later pick. That's just not the case. I mean, what I've said the whole time here, I mean, would the Jets like to get some draft capital back? Yes. <laughs> but you want to get a player back that can help you, a player with team control. 
That is what needs to happen for the Winnipeg Jets. Here's the other part. You know what else the Jets have, Sean? A surplus of defensemen. So you have prospects that are banging on the door. You have veteran players under contract. So figure out what the combination is going to be. I mean, again, everyone wants to have 10 10 players deep. That's great. But what have we been talking about? The Jets need scoring. How do you get scoring? Well, you're going to have to move a defenseman to get some scoring. So that would be a short-term fix for me, but it also would provide a long-term solution because that's how you make room for Vili Hainala or that's how you make room for Dylan Sandberg when he's healthy. Like the problem is, you know, that there's been so many injuries and COVID and everything else. I mean, the Jets have to decide which guys they're going to be running with going forward and which guys they might be willing to move. I mean, they're all good people and they're all, you know, guys who can play at this level, but in order to, you got to change the mix a little bit. So then you got to decide who you can live without in terms of having a prospect or one of the veteran players. And you're going to have to upgrade your forward group. I mean, we know there are skilled players coming, whether that's Nathan Smith, who's at the Olympics, whether that's Chaz Lucius, who again, I've said this before, but for folks who haven't heard, I expect Chaz Lucius to be back with the university of Minnesota next year. He missed a ton of time due to injury. His brother is going to be playing for the golden Gophers next year. He wants to, he's going to go back. He's an undersized player. He's had a very good year. But for people that are comparing him with the year Kyle Connor had, Kyle Connor had 64 or 65 points. So he's not necessarily needing to turn pro after this season. I think he's going back for another year. So, um, you know, there's some hard decisions that are coming for the Winnipeg Jets. There's no doubt about that. Uh, they're not going to just throw their hands up in the air and say, you know what, too bad, right? <laughs> Here's the thing. Uh, I can't tell if Dryland fisherman is kidding here or if he actually thinks this I, I said this before you know a lot of people will say that you know they think that i'm you know the fun place and hard on the team like they're sitting in a long distance spot outside of the playoffs like what would you expect me to say this year i like to say that you know i like to think that i call a spade a spade when i'm doing this um i don't know if dryland fisherman is just taking the piss out of us here uh or being like hard on the team all the time um, I, I do think that the Jets got a lot of credit. And one of the reasons why, you know, they've been recognized as a really good team around the league for a number of years has to do with the fact that the local media, I think, covers them and points out that they're they're good. I think we've done a good job of, I don't want to say advocating because that's not our job, but I think we've done a good job of telling the Winnipeg Jets stories of what they do successfully over the past years that has a lot of people believing. I mean, Frank Saravelli from Philadelphia, uh, who worked for both TSN and now works for Sportsnet, had the Winnipeg Jets winning the Cup this year. I'm not saying he can't come to that conclusion without us, but don't think for a second that it doesn't that you know it doesn't help to have the local media you know telling the stories that we've been telling. Um, just and he's been up, and he was sorry and he was he covered the run in 2018, so he saw the core. So right. I mean, this is very simple. If you thought this was the, we all know that it's hard to win in the NHL, but I mean, you don't get a participation ribbon. <laughs> I love good one, Mal Paris. Well, yeah, good one. <laughs> one says that we're too hard on them. The next says oh, we're yeah. too soft. On no, them. for I sure. Wanna, I want to. It's hard to win. Well. So I mean, if you, if, I mean, the Jet. No one said the Jets were going to be first overall, like the you know second overall, like they were when they finished just behind the Nashville Predators. But they also weren't expected to be a bubble team. And right now, it's nothing to do with the media. The Jets are a bubble team. Those are the facts. There's no, no one is making something up. 
the Jets have time to make the playoffs. They also have time to miss the playoffs if they don't get it together. I mean, that's that's no one's here dumping on them saying they're a bunch of bad people or bad players. They just haven't lived up to expectations. Not their own expectations, not the media's expectations, and not the GM's expectations. So it's got nothing to do with what the media says. The media is reporting the facts right now. And if you said, ask the players, you think any of the Jets players are happy to be in 12th place in the Western yeah. Conference? Not one player is happy about that. Um, I just wanted to finish at that point that we were talking about about what you could do. This is where I think things are tough for Kevin Cheveldayoff. The problem is because he can't make significant changes because they're right up against the cap, right? So he talked about this when we met with him about a week ago is it's, it's hard to do this unless you're making a hockey deal, right? Like money out, money back in. So you're going to take a player, you know, who, who is part of the Jets core and say, we're moving this player and we're getting back this. So we're going to move Nick Ehlers and we're going to take two, $3 million guys, one that we think is a bargain. So one can take Ehlers place in that second line and one plays a little further down the lineup. And maybe you think that that player is going to be able to generate some secondary scoring, which we're not seeing enough of, of this team. I mean, that's a, this is a way of me saying, like, if there's a balance, I, one, I don't think there's enough offense coming from the point. Uh, but two, I don't think that there's, there's clearly not enough offense coming from the bottom six on this team. That is an absolutely a major problem. But the other tricky part about this, Ken, that I think I, I do think that Kevin Cheveldayoff feels caught in the middle and I don't want to lay this at the feet of of Dave Lowry but I do think that you know Kevin Cheveldayoff has made it clear he still believes in this core and I think there's part of him that thinks if they're going to crash out and miss the playoffs this year I want to see what they look like with the next coach that I bring in to coach this group before I say to myself okay this team doesn't have what it takes to win this core doesn't have what it takes to win we need to break them up and we need to move on one of the interesting parts about this ken is i mean maybe this comes down to the owner kevin Cheveldayoff is a general manager that has been able to operate for a very long time without a lack of urgency i mean there's not a lot of gms that would have got the runway that he got from 2011 to 2015 to, you know, add prospects and build up this team. And then in 2015, say, you know what? The league is changing. This isn't right. Let's tear it down and build it back up again and get that done in that 2018, uh, you know, and get that little run that the Jets went on. And then on top of that, have a window that looked to us like it was wide open. I mean, think about this for a second. If you just ask this as a purely, you know, subjective question, if you had a GM that people thought had a wide open window for a Stanley Cup team and four years later they'd won one series, how many teams would still have that GM under employ? Well, I mean, also too, how many people would have predicted you had two of those two and a half seasons in a, as part of a pandemic? I mean, I guess. Yeah, how, I know. How, I know. Much, how much yeah. are we weighing that into it? I guess that's, and again, I'm not saying that's an excuse. It's a great point, Sean. One series win. Whole thing. Yeah. One series win is not enough yeah. from that time. The, that's accurate. But the, the, I, I, the, I just, I wonder if, I, I, I mean, I, I guess what I'm saying is if this wasn't Mark Chipman, I think that owners of other teams would have been pressuring their GMs to make 
deals or do things in a time like this. And I just do think that the Jets have this patient approach and there's really no need for that. So if you're Kevin Sheveldev, there's no need for it here because I don't know that the pressure exists for him to, for some, I don't think there's, I don't think Kevin, uh, or sorry, Mark Chipman is knocking on Kevin Sheveldev's door and saying, turn this around in the next couple of weeks or we're going to have to rethink this relationship, right? I don't think that's happening. And so out of that, I, I do think it's a strange situation in that Kevin Dayoff, I think, is very likely to operate in this and not make a move, allow the season to go by, thinking that he's probably going to have an opportunity to take a run at this in the summer and do something and see how things go next year. And just that, to me, strikes me as a luxury that not very many general managers in the league have had or do have. Yeah, I mean, it's a fair point, but I would also say that I would say the True North and the Winnipeg Jets are feeling a lot of pressure, Sean. They have not had a single sellout this year. They've had to play four games, uh, two games at two, 250 capacity and two games at half capacity. So uh, I would say that there's lots of pressure on the organization internally. Uh, and and I don't, you know, what, what does that mean? I don't know. I mean, I think it's so interesting, and this is totally off topic, but... I was talking about this with Jeff Hamilton off the air. I said, my, I had a column written about how Mike O'Shea was going to be a great head coach in his next job because it looked like the Bombers were going to fire him. The Bombers chose continuity, and now they've won two great cups. I mean, so that fine line between continuity and making changes is tough to find, right? Do you want to be the Edmonton Oilers, Sean? I would throw back at you. There's got to be some middle ground, right? So you have stability at one end and you have just a revolving door of coaches with two of the best players in the National Hockey League are constantly churning through coaches. Is that a good approach? That's not a good approach either. So... I mean, there's got to be some kind of a happy medium. I totally understand where you're coming from. I mean, what uh, you want is John Cooper, right? You want that situation there. Sure. Uh, but, but 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 to, to take that into perspective, Julian Breezewell ends up, I mean, it wasn't that they forced Steve Eiserman out, but Julian Breezewell came in with new eyes, not necessarily new eyes, he was part of the organization, but a different approach. And that's what finally got them over the hump. So, I mean, even that organization shows examples of, yes, yeah, staying steady to the course can work but having change can also work as well well you know what else sean this is also a great point in what you just said most people wanted john cooper fired after his record-setting yeah. season when they were out in the first round yep. well, they stuck with them and won two stanley cups so right yeah. it, it, it the perspective is so interesting because it's emotional it's an emotional game i get it people want immediate results we are in an immediate results you know, you want satisfaction immediately. And I'm also not saying that the Jets shouldn't have got more done in 11 years. I mean, I'm not saying that either. I mean, I'm just saying it's hard to win. Uh, the Jets are going to have some hard decisions. And they have some hard decisions leading into the trade deadline. And, Sean, I agree. If the Jets miss the playoffs, it's a massive, massive offseason for Kevin Chevel Dayoffs and the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, there's no doubt about that. I mean, you don't get a lifetime contract. There are tough decisions to be made about the roster. And further to your point about thinking that maybe a different coach could get something else out of the core, that totally makes sense, Sean. Yeah. yeah. But you know what I, else I makes sense? I think that's sense? what they're waiting on. The teams around them in the Central, their cores have gotten better. Can the Jets say that? 
again, I'm not saying oh, that they're that's not. A point. That's a very good point, Ken. You're right. I mean, that, right, I mean, that's all I'm saying. I mean, I think that there's a lot of very good pieces in that core. And I think that once Pierre-Luc Dubois signs a long-term deal, that's incredibly important. So, but but can can you beat the Colorado Avalanche in a seven-game series? Can you beat the Minnesota Wild? Can you beat the Vegas Golden Knights? Right now, it would be hard to say the Jets could beat those teams. It's not to say that they couldn't. But can they win four rounds, right? That's ultimately what they're trying to do. Right now, if they don't think that they can get to that point, then they need to retool. Yeah, uh, let's end it there. I just wanted to throw this out there. Uh, Kenny did a good job on showing off our new merch. Uh, oh, last sorry, time. yes, get that up there. Out, go to our Sportsnet store and check things out. I got to tell you, I got one of these wake-up mugs at home. And Kenny, I've never tasted a sweeter cup of coffee. It's absolutely <laughs> unbelievable. And these shirts are sweet. We've got a medium at home with the K&R logo uh, in there. Go check it out. We got more coming. I can tell you that there is a headband in the works, ladies and gentlemen, uh, which we're hoping will be a decent seller. Uh, we're working on other stuff, but go check it out. Uh, we wanted to make sure that our price points could come down. We did that. We moved the cost of our shirts down. Thank you to everybody who did awesome. buy the shirts out of the first round. You've got 15% off at the store, so if you want to go back for anything else, the water bottles are great, the cups are great, the shirts are cheaper now, and there's more coming. We really do appreciate uh, all you do for us uh, and the support that you've given us. Uh, so hopefully what we have worked on here is something that you'd be interested in and can slake your thirst for Kenny and Rennie merch <laughs> if that's what you're looking for. Uh, Kenny, great job here tonight. Um, once again, I, I love our chat room, how active they are. I think I took three questions that ended up being, I mean, we're at almost a buck 15 and we're there right. because we had phenomenal questions from the audience uh, that, that allowed us to kind of wax poetic on those points. Uh, and really are thought provoking. I mean, they, they got me thinking about this in an entirely different way. So thank you to the chat room as always for doing a great job. Uh, this isn't uh, the Kenny and Rennie show without you. You are the third man in this entire thing. So so thank you so much. Uh, day off for the Jets tomorrow. Then we will be back at it. Another Sportsnet broadcast. Wednesday night. Big Jets take on the Minnesota Wild. It should be a good one. Uh, don't give up hope yet, ladies and gentlemen. Let's see what happens on Wednesday. Have a great night, all.